Hey, we're in 1 Peter, so open up to 1 Peter if you would. This is the highlight of our morning, is being in the Word of God and under the authority of God's Word. And if you were with us last week, uh, then you know this, that we had a time where we are talking about the wife's role within the marriage. Uh, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses uh, 1 to 6, and I challenged the men to show up and come back this week. Uh, so thank you for heeding that call and coming back and learning uh, what the Bible says and what 1 Peter 3 specifically says as to your role uh, in the marriage. And I just want to say this up front, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7 to 7 is not an exhaustive understanding of marriage, um, but it does help us understand uh, God's design and God's blueprint for marriage. And so we're just going to take a look at verse 7 this morning and what it says to the husband's. But nonetheless, wives, this is important for you to pay attention to as well. Um, if you are not a husband, if you are not a wife and you are single, uh, this is a great passage for you um, to know and understand as you potentially are pursuing that or want to pursue that. Or if the Lord has for that uh, in the future, then you will have a head start. So uh, this is geared for all of us this morning. Let me start out by uh, just with a bit of humor here, a little story that I came across uh, this, uh, this week, it says this, there's a story of a man who died and went to heaven to find two signs above two different lines. One sign read, all those, all those men who have been dominated by their wives stand here. That line of men seemed to stretch off through the clouds and into infinity. The second sign read, all those who have never been dominated by their wives stand here. Underneath that sign stood one man. He went over to the man. He grabbed his arm and said, what's the secret? How did you do it? The other line has millions of men and you are the only one standing in this line. The man looked around with a puzzled expression and said, why, I'm not sure. My wife just told me to stand here. <laughs> yeah, that one got me too this week when I read that. We're approaching this topic of marriage, and we know this, that it's not always a laughing matter, but humor is good nonetheless. I know this, that over the last few decades, the biblical family and the understanding of the biblical family has been ripped apart. The culture stands for everything except the Word of God, and therefore it will brace anything when it comes to marriage. We can trace the destruction of the family and destruction of marriage all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It was when there in the garden and Adam and Eve were there and they were told this, you can do whatever you want within the garden, except don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then Satan came along and he tempted Adam and Eve and he tempted Eve and, and said this, did God really say he cast doubt into the mind of Eve as if God didn't really say what he said and, and God didn't mean exactly what he meant, that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. It was in that moment when Adam and Eve were enjoying the purest relationship that they could have, understanding their roles, fulfilling their roles in that beautiful relationship, that Satan went and attacked marriage. Attacking marriage is the age-old trade of Satan, and he's just about perfected it. 
His method is quite simple. Get people to doubt the word of God and its understanding of marriage and get them to think that there is a better way to fulfill your role in marriage. Get them to think that there's something else out there. There's a better way than God's way. Get them to doubt the word of God. Get them to question the role of husbands as leaders in the home. Get them to question the role as a wife as a suitable helper to submit to the headship of her husband. Get them to c- conclude that God is wrong and there is a better way. And he's been using that arrow for thousands and thousands of years. It was in the 60s and 70s that the beginning of the radical feminist movement began. And it was in that time that really you could see the decline of marriage. There's three women that came out with a book on the sexual revolution, Kate Millett, Jermaine Greer, and Shulamith Firestone. And out of that comprised and came out women's lib, women's liberation. It went against male headship. It demanded that the traditional family be destroyed. And all of it has its roots in social Marxism, socialism. This is what Firestone championed. She asserts that the modern society could not achieve true gender equality until women's biological traits are separated from their identity. Firestone supported the belief that women were limited by the need for them to have children, and by reproducing, they could not be individualistic. She also held to the view that motherhood oppressed women. And women became victims in a patriarchal-based society where there is a husband and a wife in a marriage relationship. This is at the heart of the feminist, this radical feminist movement is the destruction of God's blueprint for marriage. Not too long ago, a post, uh, uh, an article came out by the, the New York Post of all places. It's titled this, Feminism Has De-Established the Family. A lady by the Lena, Lena Dunham said this, I'd honestly rather fall into a million manholes than have one single dude tell me to watch my step. Okay, let me go with that one. The article goes on and says this, while there is a near universal agreement that women should be treated equally in the workplace and in the family, other aspects of the feminist agenda, such as devaluing marriage, have left women more, not less vulnerable than they were pre-feminist revolution. It goes on to say this, it should not be anti-feminist to recognize that men and women do need each other, and that contrary to feminist theories, marriage is a key pillar of stability for both sexes and especially for children. Feminists greeted unwanted parenthood and easy divorce as steps on the ladder of liberation. The sexual revolution has sliced through the institution of marriage, leaving millions of women without the love and emotional and financial security that they and their children need. Recent studies even showed the effects of fatherlessness have revealed that the rise of single parent families has had even an even worse consequence for boys than girls. 
fatherless boys are less ambitious, less hopeful, more likely to get into trouble at school than fatherless girls. She goes on to say that everything is connected. Diseases of despair, alcoholism, overdoses, suicide have been rising among white working class Americans, the very population that has witnessed a steep decline in family stability over the past several decades. And then she closes with this. Most women want and need upright, well-adjusted, dependable men to serve as co-anchors of a healthy and happy family. The feminist movement was deeply misguided to take aim at marriage. Far from oppressing women, it offers a safe foundation for a full life. This is by Mona Charon. If you have a basic understanding of God's word, then this conclusion should not surprise anybody. This woman, who's not even a believer, doesn't even sit under the authority of Scripture, understands this. God designed the family to be one male and one female, one mother, one father. God designed it in the home that it would be fulfilled. And when the husband and wife fulfill their God-given roles, then they are fulfilled. The family is fulfilled. When a wife takes a posture of a suitable helper, comes underneath and alongside the husband, and the husband takes the, takes the posture of headship and leadership within the home, even the New York Post article says this, this is a safe foundation for a full life. Of course it is. Because God said that in the first seven days of all creation. God said that from the very beginning, that if you fulfill your roles as a husband and wife, there you will be fulfilled. Yet for 2,000 plus years, humanity has been trying to find an alternate way to God's perfect design and blueprint. And the results are disaster. Ultimately here, listen, ultimately the problem is not radical feminism on the attack of marriage. Ultimately, ultimately, the problem here is an attack on the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. You have to make the decision, church. You have to make the decision. If you're going to sit underneath the authority of God's Word and obey it, or you're going to reject the authority of God's Word, go your own way and find an alternative path towards marriage. And I've already told you the results. That's what the attack is on. We're witnessing it right here in our culture. Devastation, broken marriages, suicide rates are up, alcoholism is up. This comes back to submitting to the Word of God. What is the authority in your life? What will you decide to submit your life to? And all 1 Peter does is this. It challenges you to say, okay, this is what God's word has to say. Now I have to make a choice if I'm going to live by it and obey it or if I'm going to step side it and find my own way. So let's read it together. It says this, likewise, wives, 3.1. Be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Even when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair or the putting on of 
gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Last week we saw this. Wives, your role is clear. Even if your husband is disobeying the word of God, your role is clear. This in no way brings a loss of dignity. This in no way brings a loss of value or worth to women. There is no loss of respect here. All are made in the image of God. In the eyes of God, all have high worth and dignity and value and honor and respect. Yet within the marriage, there are separate roles. They are not the same and they are not to be reversed. As it says there, even if there is those who do not obey the word, this does not mean that you go and find your own way. In fact, you submit to your own husband. Why? So that they may come to know the Lord. Last week, right after church, I was standing standing right there on red carpet, right there, or pink carpet, whatever color that was. And this elderly lady came up with Josh Josh Nelson, a member in our church, and he said, this is my great-grandma. She's 95 years old. And I started talking to her, and she said to me, I was married for 47 years. Halfway through, about halfway through, 23 years into the marriage, I was saved. I was saved out of Roman Catholicism. 24 years more, she's saved. Her husband is not saved, and she decides she's going to obey God's word and what 1 Peter 3 has to say. For 24 years, she lives with an unbelieving husband. She says to me, I never said to him, you're a sinner. I never said to him, you're coming to church with me. She said those things right there, right there to me. She said, I'm not going to do any of those things. 24 years later, he passes away after 47 years of marriage. But on his deathbed, five days Before he dies, he comes to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And she looked at me and she said this, keep preaching the truth, it works. And she gave me a little punch in the chin like that. (laughs) Keep preaching the truth, it works. Wives, submit to your husbands if they don't obey. Wives, dress modestly and concern yourselves with the character, with your character more than your cosmetics. Godly men want godly women of character as much as godly women want a man of godly character. And so you focus on the heart. That's what it tells us. This is precious in the sight of God. And this is where you find your role in this marriage, which means this, men, it is incumbent upon you to step up in courage and lead. Verse 8, 
you are responsible for the spiritual, physical, and emotional, and financial matters within the home. You set the culture in the home. You decide how time is spent in the home. Are we going to pray together as a family? Are we going to open up our Bibles together as a family? Are we going to be in the habit of attending church? Are we going to be in the habit of serving within the church? How do we spend our time? Is it with entertainments and sports and vacation and leisure? What dominates your time? Men, it is upon you to make those decisions. You set the culture. You have a suitable helper who wants to live beside you in a godly way. It is your job to lead them in a godly way. You're the one who speaks into this. Sure, your, your wife speaks into this as well and says these things, but the culture is decided by you, men, as you lead. As you notice there, there's six verses there for the women. That's because women can handle more than men, and the men get one verse, very clear, very specific, because men, we just need to know, what do we need to do? Okay, here's what we need to do. It's right here for us. In one verse, dedicated to you, men, This is what we get. You ready? Verse 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. In the same way that that wives are to submit to their unbelieving husbands in the same way as you, as you look in chapter 2 that, that Christ submitted to unruly people who beat and crucified Him in the same way that, 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 uh, that you are to submit to your master or your bosses in the workplace even though they are not believers in the same way you are to submit to an unbelieving government in the same way, husbands, this is now how you submit to your husband. You do so by living with her in an understanding way. You honor her. You respect her. You value her. You pray for her. This is where you find your primary role within the, the marriage. Literally, the reading is this. Husbands, dwell together according to knowledge. Let me give you three aspects here that I find in Scripture, in this passage, of how you can, can lead as a godly husband in your marriage. Three things. I'll wait for the sirens to go. Number one is this. Know your wife. Know your wife. Live together with knowledge. That's what it means. Live together with understanding. And I want you to see this because this is super important. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Meaning this is that you are ignorant to the, you are not ignorant to the relationship that you're in. If you look back in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14, it says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't live in a way where you are still under the ignorance of not understanding the truth. As a believing godly husband, you know the gospel and you know the truth. Live according to that. So he's saying this, the gospel is to inform your marriage. 
You understand the depths of your sin. You understand the depths of the love of Jesus Christ upon you. You understand the the patience that God has for you. You're not living in ignorance to the gospel. You're living in, in full understanding of what the gospel has done and what Christ has done for you. And that informs the way you treat your wife. Man, God is so loving to me when I don't deserve it. Man, God forgives me when I don't deserve it. I don't live in ignorance to that anymore. The gospel informs everything about my marriage. You live with a knowledge of your own salvation. He even says that, that you were ransomed from the, the futile ways of, that were inherited by your forefathers, not with imperishable things such as, as silver and gold. You have this understanding of the truth and God's forgiveness and love for you. Now live in an understanding way, the same understanding that Christ has for your sin, you have for your wife. Man, that's powerful. That's deep. That's rich. The gospel informs everything. It says this, the knowledge then that they have here, live with your wife in an understanding way. It means this, is that you continually know and understand and you're continually learning about her. Those of you who have married for a long time may remember the, the dating part of of the relationship where it was constantly, I just want to know this person. I just want to understand this person. I, I want to get to know them. I want to know everything about them. And then you get married and it's kind of like, all right, I'm off to work. I'll, I'll see you. I got, and after work, I've got softball. Okay, I got softball. And then after softball, we'll have dinner. Then I got to get to bed early because I got a meeting. And then, then all this learning about your spouse is over. It says here, live with them in in a way where you're continually knowing them, understanding them, filtered through the lens of the gospel, where you want to know, how can I forgive my wife? How can I love my wife? How can I be patient with her? How can I imitate the characteristics of the gospel in my life towards my wife? I want to know her fears. I want to know her desires. I want to know her dreams. Maybe, Maybe they've changed since you've dated. Maybe, maybe your desires are different, maybe even from yesterday or a week ago. You're constantly learning. Why? So you can live with her and love her and care for her. And as Ephesians 5 tells us, present her pure before Christ when you stand up there side by side with him in eternity. So you learn her frustrations, you learn her strengths, you learn her joys, you learn what makes her happy, you figure out what makes her sad, you take interest in her because you understand how God took interest into your life when you didn't deserve it. You don't live in ignorance anymore. There's a higher standard here, men. Marriage doesn't mean you stop getting to know one another. Marriage only opens the door for deeper deeper levels of love and intimacy and knowledge of one another where trust is built. I want you to see something here because in Genesis chapter 2, back to Genesis. So foundational to our understanding, we got to go back to the first marriage ceremony where God handed away 
the first bride and what he said to them. In Genesis chapter 2, and we know this, we read this last week in verse 23, or 22, Adam falls asleep and he wakes up and uh, there's not just animals around anymore. There's a beautiful woman. And he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she's taken out a man. And then this is the this short little ceremony. God says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh together. They are one. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I want you guys to understand this very clearly here. This is not just talking about the physical nature of marriage between a man and a woman. One flesh doesn't just mean physical. One flesh means one in every essence of the word where you are one with your wife and your husband emotionally, physically, spiritually. Together. And he says there, they were one in every aspect of the word. They became one flesh. And what? They were, uh, it says their man and his wife were naked and they were not ashamed. What does that mean here? It mean, doesn't mean that they were just without clothing. It means that they exposed their hearts, their emotions, their dreams, their fears. Everything about them was open. Everything about their life was exposed to one another. There were no secrets. Everything was out in the open. They had full trust in one another. They were not ashamed of anything. Here's my life. That's what you're saying to your spouse. Here's my life. Here's everything about me. It is open and it exposed and I trust you. And I'm not going to feel any shame because I trust you that when you gather this information about who I really am, you're going to forgive me for it the same way Christ forgave you. And you live in this beautiful relationship with one another. The way God intended it to be as you care for one another, as you love one another, as you hold each other, each other dear, you're not ashamed of the relationship. This is oneness of the soul. You entrust one another to one another and only to one another. And understand this, men, it's hard sometimes. It's hard to open up. It's hard to, to express feelings sometimes. It's hard to, to say how things are really going sometimes. You just don't want to deal with it. I get that. I, I, some of you don't know me that well, but I'm a pretty introverted person myself. I, I, I like to be alone sometimes. I, it's, it's okay for me on the couch without a family around for a little bit. I'm okay with that. Some of you are like, I got to have people all the time. Like, if, if people aren't around, something's wrong with me. I'm not that way. But because of that, I understand this, that I could also be closed off. And I can also frustrate my wife because I'm not willing to share information. I, I just give what I feel is necessary. And I understand that, but being open and exposed and, and being able to reveal and share your, who you are and what's going on to a trusted, the most trusted source, your spouse. 
full trust in one another. Husbands have a hard time at times to want to take interest in their wife, wanting to see them open up, and then when they do open up, you're scratching your head going, oh no, what do I do now? What do I say now to this? Sometimes you just don't say anything. Sometimes you just give them a hug and tell them you love them. It means this is communication is the key. Trust is crucial. Listening is not optional. It is foundational. We spend less time on our phones, maybe less time at work, maybe less time with our buddies, and we spend more time in careful conversation with our wives because we want to obey Scripture. We want to do what God wants us to do. We want to live with our wives in an understanding way. Men, this takes work. Women, let me just say this too, don't. Don't mock when your husband is desiring to know you. Don't put it off to the side. Don't undermine it, the effort, when they ask questions that may get to your heart. Embrace that you trust them and that they actually love you enough to want to know how you're doing. Marriage takes work in this way. If we want to understand and seek to know our wife, secondly is this, honor your wife. Don't just learn about her, now honor her. That's what it says, right? Honor her as the weaker vessel. What does that mean, weaker vessel? There's a lot of different uh, commentators comment on this, as you can imagine what that means, weaker vessel. I, I don't think, I don't believe that it means... Um, like weaker in strength. I don't believe God is asking the, the wife to humbly submit to, to her husband so that he can take the trash out because <laughs> he's stronger, so he can mow the lawn, you know, open the car door. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that's what that means as, as far as strength. I, I, in fact, I don't even think that it means emotionally or spiritually. I think some women are stronger than men emotionally and physically, uh, I suppose. In fact, women are stronger than men in, in a lot of different ways. But notice this. It says this. Sometimes we forget about this. It says weaker, meaning what? We're both weak. We're both weak. Weaker means we're both frail. It means we're bro- both prone to spiritual and emotional weakness because of our sin. And so it says here, the weaker vessel, it's not derogatory, it's not demeaning, it's not implying inferiority. As some in the radical feminist movement, the women's lib movement would say, that because they can bear children, they're the weaker vessel. That, that's not at all what, what this means, or, or because it says this, that now they're, they're, they're a victim just because, uh, just because they're women. It seems to me this, that the best interpretation for a weaker, weaker vessel in the context here is this, that while, while wives are living in obedience to God and his word, she may feel at times as weaker because of the God-given role to submit to her husband. She may feel inferior. She may feel of little value. 
She's accepted and embraced a position that is counter the culture. She's embraced the position of submitting to her husband and therefore one of potential vulnerability. Therefore, husbands don't exploit her, don't take advantage of her, don't demean her, don't suppress her so that she cannot thrive. That seems to fit the context. Instead, honor her. Honor her for the role that she has in the marriage. Prize her. Cherish her. In fact, this word here says to show honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. It has the word here in its roots in the word for precious. Treat your wife with preciousness. As if she is costly to you. Value to you. Cherish her. Honor her. Hold her dear to you. Have affections for her. Protect her. We know what this means, right? When you cherish something, you honor something. Uh, for men, maybe it's this, this really nice, you know, fancy sports car. Right? You got this really great car. What do you do? You take care of it. You wash it. You don't even drive it on rainy days, which means only a few months here in Washington. But you, you polish it. You put it out there for everybody to notice. You want them to see this thing. You protect it. You care for it. That's what it means to cherish someone. You prize them. You want everyone to know how much you love them. You protect, you honor them. And that's what it's saying here. Show honor to them. Show honor to them because they're placing themselves in a, in a place that is countercultural. Counter we cherish our wives. We put time and thought and effort into honoring them, showcasing them, protecting them. It's interesting. If you go to Ephesians chapter 5, when it talks about uh, the other passage here that talks about the marriage, uh, it actually tells us this. Uh, in Ephesians 5, it says, He who loves his wife uh, loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh. No one's ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Meaning what? We love to cherish ourselves. We love to honor ourselves. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You need to honor your wife. So let me ask you this question, men. If you were to ask your wife in the car ride home, how am I doing cherishing you? Or how do I cherish you? Or even better, how would you like to be cherished this week? Do you know the answer you would get? Men, do you know the answer? If you don't, get ahead of that and ask the question first. Because here's what's going to happen, men. If you don't cherish her, the world will. Something else will. Where do you want your wife to go to feel cherished? That's the reality. Let me put this on the other side because the principle is the same. Wives, 
Where do you want your husband to go to feel cherished? Somebody's going to. Something's going to. That's the way our flesh works. That's the way Satan works. If we don't learn to cherish one another, something else will take that and appreciate them and respect them and value them the way that your spouse is supposed to. And we protect each other in this way. And we learn to live in this way. In fact, it's so precious. The marriage is so precious. Look what it says. They are heirs with you of the grace of life. That word grace there is gift. Marriage is a gift of life. You're co-heirs. The closest relationship designed here on earth is the marriage relationship. And we need to start valuing it and honoring it the way that God intended it to be co-heirs in this life and you got to cultivate companionship cultivate friendship respect one another as the heirs together of this gift of life this calls for teamwork it calls for fellowship it calls for forgiveness it calls for friendship it calls for an appreciation for one another as you learn to love one another this takes two And it takes work, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Lastly is this. Number three, and this may be the the one thing that you have been missing all along, is this. Pray for your wife. Look what it says. So that your prayers may not be hindered. What's the assumption there? That you're doing what? That you're praying, right? It's not so that you'd start praying or continue praying. It's that the prayers that you are already praying aren't hindered. Pray for your wife. Pray that you would have a deep relationship with her. Even after years of marriage, maybe it is that you start working these things out. You start ironing these things out. You start to understand and honor and cherish. Praying is not optional. Praying for your wife is not optional. The, in fact, here, look what it says. It's so that your prayers may what? May not be hindered, meaning, meaning this, meaning cut off. So, your hair, so that your prayers are not cut off. And listen, if your prayers are cut off, your soul will shrivel. This is for the health of your soul. This is to make you spiritual healthy. So you pray for your wife that you would honor her and love her and care for her in a in the way that she does. You take those things that you're learning about her and her fears and her desires and your dreams and you lift those up to the Lord on her behalf. What better person to pray for you for the needs and goals and desires of your life so that other than your spouse. Now I want you to notice this, all of this, this 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 clause here. You do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. We remind you of this. We don't do these things, verses 1 to heaven, so that we would have a happy marriage. Here's why we do those things. We do these things so that we would have a holy marriage because holiness brings happiness. And let's not reverse those things. The pursuit is not happiness. The pursuit is holiness. And if we're both pursuing holiness under the grace of God, then out of that comes the happiness 
that the marriage is intended to be. So we pursue these things because of holiness. We pursue these things so that the character of God would be revealed in our lives. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. Lord, really, this comes down to an obedience issue. It comes down to an authority issue. It comes down to us saying, okay, Lord, you have confronted and convicted my heart, and I need to do better. That was the battle I was feeling all week. Man, I've got work to do. I want to be better. I want to be a better husband. I want to do a better job of cherishing my my wife, Erin. I want to have a holier life. I want to live in submission to the Word of God as the goal of wives is to live in submission to their husband, even if they're unbelieving husbands, as they submit to God. This beautiful picture of marriage, this beautiful blueprint of marriage that you designed so long ago has stood the test of time. There is no better option. There is no better way. But the one that you designed for us. And so help us, Lord. Give us the humility to change. Give us the desire, even in the car ride home, as we're going to get in the car and drive drive home whenever that is, may even then the conversations just begin to remind each other the love that you have for one another that is based off of the gospel. Cultivate healthy marriages here. And those for those who are hurting in a marriage right now, Lord, I pray that if needed, they would seek the help that they would need. They would run to you, run to Scripture, and seek help here, even amongst the pastors and elders. Whatever it needs to do, Lord, our desire, our aim is to please you in everything. We need your help, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.